This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your word through your son. But please work in us hearts that are not hard so that we can hear your voice clearly, so that we will be eager to receive your word that we would be able to see all the ways in which we are in danger of doing this and give us hearts that want to obey and submit and turn away. We pray this for your glory and for our good. Amen. So we've been uh, studying the Sermon on the Mount and, you know, Jesus has been focused on our hearts, you know, choosing the right treasure, uh, not worrying. But now he comes to the part of the sermon where there is a focus on how we treat each other. So of course, right, because this is how citizens of the kingdom, how people of the kingdom should live. And so as uh, citizens of the kingdom, we need to know how we treat one another. And so at the beginning of chapter 7, he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Okay, so obviously the question here is, what does Jesus mean when he says, do not judge? So obviously, he is not telling us, don't make any assessment of good and evil. Don't make any assessment between what is right and wrong. Don't make any assessment of truth and error. Obviously, he is not telling us to do that. Now, the interesting thing is that in this passage, verses 1 to 6, you know, as a you know young Christian reading this, it looks as if it's random instructions, you know, not connected at all. But the more we study it, the more I think we're able to see that verses 1 to 6 belong together. And in fact, in these six verses, there are five different types of judging. So it's not just in the first verse, okay? There's five different types of judging in these six verses. Four are right. One is wrong. The one that is wrong is what Jesus says at the beginning, do not judge. And I think we can see from how he gives the illustration in verse 3, why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? that it helps us see what Jesus means when he says, do not judge. So clearly, I think he's talking about, do not have that self-righteous, you know, judging of another person's sin, when all the time you are unaware of some great big sin in your own life. You know, that self-righteous, you know, oh, you know, how could he have done that? But the whole time in our own life, there is a great big sin. You know, this law, in our eye, as Jesus says. So he is clearly warning against that self-righteous judgmentalism of one another. Now, this is the reason why I said, you know, even though I'm studying this passage <coughs> so much this week, <coughs> excuse me, it's hard to spot. I think it's hard to spot, not because it is non-existent. It's hard to spot because I and maybe us, we have grown so accustomed and we are so uh, used to having this sort of thoughts that we don't realize it. So we really need God's help to hear the warning of Jesus here. Do not judge. It is an ugly thing. It is an especially ugly thing 
in the church. Now Jesus gives us a few reasons why uh, we should not judge and he says there, or you too will be judged. And verse 2, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now one of the big questions of this passage is, okay, if you judge this way, you will receive judgment. And the question obviously is judgment, what sort of judgment? And judgment from who? Now, so some people say, oh, it is a judgment from other people. Because if you are, you know, judgmental in the church, then you have this reputation, <clears throat> excuse me, of being judgmental. And then other people will, you know, look at you. And then when you make a mistake, they'll be judgmental of you as well. So it's possible that it's talking about the human level. But I think because the way is phrased, uh, more likely it is talking about God's judgment. And so most commentators agree it is uh, God's judgment. And if it's God's judgment, what sort of judgment? Is it the judgment of here in this life, the judgment of his discipline? You know, so you are judgmental and then you face the discipline of your heavenly father. Is it that sort of judgment? Or is it a more serious, eternal, you know, uh, destiny deciding sort of judgment? Now, if you turn with me to an uh, earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, in chapter 6, verse 14, in your Bibles, where after teaching us uh, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says in verse 14, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So I think it is in that same vein that if we are judgmental, we will receive no mercy from God. We will receive His righteous justice. And that is not a good thing. Okay, so this is the second uh, mention of judgment. The first mention is the wrong one, that self-righteous judgmentalism. The second judgment in this passage is God's judgment of the person who is such a right, self-righteous, uh, judgmental person. And obviously that would be a right judgment, right judgment for God to do. And Jesus is warning us, do not judge or you will face this judgment. But then you might say, hey, what about grace? What about the cross? What about, you know, uh, faith in Jesus alone that saves us? Yes, that is all true. And so the warning of this passage is that if someone is so entrenched in this self-righteous, judgmental attitude, it may be because he has not himself come to understand grace. He has not for himself grasped and in his heart Praise God for His glory. Praise God for His mercy and grace. He is not someone who has come to know for himself that this is the God who saves and experience the work of Christ and of the gospel in his own heart. And that is why the indication, the expression of that is that self-righteous judgmentalism. So do you hear the grave warning in this passage? It is not by works. Oh, you know, okay, okay, I'm not self-righteous in my judgment, and so I earn salvation. I earn that, you know, I don't get judged by God. No, no, it doesn't mean that. Rather, it is the warning. 
that if you see this in a person, you see this in yourself, maybe the indication that that person has not truly, genuinely grasped grace. Because being saved is not just about showing up in church. It's not just about showing up with knowledge and a Bible study. I mean, anyone can do that. But grasping the gospel, grasping and acknowledging and and flying to the feet of Jesus and hugging him and knowing that he and he alone is the solution. He and he alone is your savior. That is a different thing. And the person who has done that, I think Jesus is saying, will not be giving himself to such self-righteous judgmentalism of others. So that's the first two mentions of uh, judgment in this passage. Uh, One wrong, one right. Now let me just go to uh, verse 6. Because there in verse 6, Jesus is giving another warning. Okay, another danger to avoid. And in verse 6, he says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So obviously the great, okay, well, how does this link, right? Now, the link is that this is a danger. Jesus is warning us against committing this danger. Because he has told us, do not judge. And so some of his disciples might be so fearful of making wrong judgment that we cease to make any judgment at all. And so Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Don't, don't do that. When it comes to the pearl, the pearl of the good news of the kingdom of God, you must make the right judgment. Don't throw it to dogs and pigs. Now, when you see dogs here, don't think of pet dogs. So there are a few pet dogs that come to the playground and Adani will, you know, kneel down and pet the dog. And I'm always fearful that the dog will bite him because I'm not a dog person. So this passage really applies to, you know, really, really, you know, evokes the emotion in me. Yes, don't throw pearls to, to, to dogs. It's talking about street dogs, wild dogs. Okay, so that's what Jesus is thinking of. Don't throw your pearls to the dogs and the pigs because they cannot appreciate it. Like you throw the pearl there, the dog will go sniff and then it's not food, it's not tasty. The dog is unable to appreciate that that pearl is of great value, that that pearl could buy it a doggy home and, you know, 10,000 days of, you know, doggy food. The dog cannot appreciate that. So Jesus is saying there will be some people who are so unable to appreciate the good news, the value, the preciousness of the gospel, that you, and, and they become so hostile and antagonistic towards it, that you need to make the right judgment and not, in a sense, put scorn on the gospel by continually offering to them. Okay, so Jesus is making this, you know, telling us we need to judge rightly. Who is a dog? Who is a pig? And if that person, you know, consistently proves himself to be hostile, antagonistic, Jesus is saying maybe for a time we need to try something else, but don't throw, don't throw the pearl of the gospel to them. So two warnings at the end. Don't make self-righteous 
judgmental, you know, assessment of people. And then the, the second warning at the end, you need to make the right judgment. Then I think framing all this right in the middle is the thing that Jesus wants to focus on. Let me read it again, verse 3. Why do you look at a speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, I'm sure this is one uh, analogy, one illustration that I mean, it's easy to visualize, right? But let me help you. Whenever I read this, I think plank, okay? Plank, maybe a plank that's as big as the guitar or maybe a plank that's as, as tall as this pulpit, okay? And if you do that, you would be wrong. Because when Jesus says plank here, the word that he is using is the wooden log that is used as a column to build houses. So it's actually something that is 12 meters long, which is like the height of this building. Okay? 12 meters long. So, so can you make this is Jesus saying, okay, in his original words, he says, okay, there's a speck. Speck of sawdust. Okay? Like the, the size of a full stop. Okay? In your brother's eye. And because the eye is so sensitive, you know, Okay, it, it, it does hurt, you know, the person does feel, it's not comfortable. Okay, yes, the speck needs to be removed. But this person, okay, Mr. Lock in the eye, comes, and what does he have? He has a 12 meter long log. Can you imagine, if I have one here and I just turn, boom, all of you will be hit already, all concussion already. Okay, this, see, I mean, the, the ridiculousness, the absurdity of Jesus' illustration. I mean, on one level, it's like, ha <laughs> so funny, right? But it's actually sad. Because what he is saying spiritually is even more absurd. That the brother comes with this great big sin in his own life that he is so unaware of. And yet he has this, oh, you got that speck, oh, Oh, I need to help you remove that. Oh, this is, this is, this is so bad for the body of Christ. Oh, you know, you, 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 you can't carry on with that sin. And the whole time, the absurdity, this person going around with that 12 meter long log in his own eye. Now, what is this log? This log, I mean, I think on one level can be, you know, any sin, uh, in a person's life that he is unaware of, you know, and, 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 but he's so sensitive to the speck in another brother's eye. Now, it can be any sin, uh, but maybe what Jesus is trying to get us to think, based on the, the flow of this passage, the law is also likely that self-righteous, judgmental attitude that is so unaware of his own need for grace, need need for forgiveness, need for Christ's love and grace and patience, that he treats his brother and wants to deal with the speck in the brother's eye. So what does Jesus say? The re- How can you help your brother? Okay, so this is the, okay, so we covered three judgments. Okay, the do not judge, then God's right judgment, 
and then the need to make uh, the right discernment, who is a dog, who is a pig. Okay, so three so far. The remaining two are in this passage. We need to make a right judgment of ourselves. Do we have a law in our own eye? That's what Jesus is saying. you got to first take the plank out of your own eye. Assess. Assess yourself. See whether there is that plank. See for yourself whether there is this self-righteous judgmentalism in your own heart. And how, how does one take out a log, a plank in your own eye? How does one deal with sin? I mean, the Bible is very clear. We go to the Savior. We go to Him, contrite, humble, not pretending. What's the use of pretending when He already knows everything? So we go before our Savior. We confess and we ask Him to deal with us. Ask Him to help us see, help us to repent. And the person who does that, the person who acknowledges his sin, the person who asks for grace to be made aware of the, 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 the grave seriousness of his own sin and comes humbly before God, will receive from God grace. We'll see that God's hand is treating him kindly. He will receive compassion. He will be reminded of the long-suffering patience of our Savior. This is what will happen when we first try to take the plank out of our own eye. We will be reminded of God's enormous grace. And so you can imagine, for someone who has done that, who has you know, sought to remove the plank first from his own eye, and receive from God grace and compassion and patience, then when he tries to, you know, in judging his brother, judging rightly, and helping him to remove that speck, we will be so much more able to treat our brother with sincere love. That we would be doing it out of a genuine care and love and concern for our brother. And not from self-righteous, judgmental attitude. And so that brother, in receiving, I mean, we can tell, right? When someone is coming to us with a judgmental attitude, and then, <laughs> what about that sin in your life? You know, it goes nowhere. But when we experience, I mean, we can tell that there is a genuine concern, we would be more willing to receive that help. And we would be willing to thank our brother for offering to help us in this way. Now, this is the reason why we read uh, Hebrews 3 for our responsive reading, because um, what the Bible teaches us there is so important. So, uh, if you could just turn there for a moment, Hebrews chapter 3, I want to draw your attention to verse 12 and 13. So, in this passage, the Hebrews writer is warning his readers against having... A hard heart. Okay, he uses the example of the Israelites in the desert. You know how they were, you know, they experienced a great salvation, you know, crossing the Red Sea, but then they still had a hard heart towards God. And so he says in verse 12, see to it 
brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, can you see how serious this is? Well, we're not just, we're not just talking about, you know, human relationships being affected, you know, fracturing of the family or this and that. We're talking about the danger of someone, you know, bit by bit, more and more, his heart getting more and more encrusted and hardened to the point that he turns away from the living God. Now, this is a danger. This is a real danger. And how does the Hebrews writer exhort his readers what they can do? Okay, so it's like saying, okay, you know, Andrew. Now, when I say Andrew, okay, which Andrew am I referring to? I'm all there, okay. Andrew, you know, see to it that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. And then Andrew says, okay, okay, how? How do I do that? And the Hebrews writer says in verse 13, but encourage one another daily. Okay, Andrew, how do you see to it that you, you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart? You encourage the person next to you. You encourage the people around you and to do it daily. Can you see what the, the, the wisdom and the logic here? How do I ensure that I don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart? I come to church, I come to a Christian gathering and I seek to encourage the others who are there. And the other people who are there in hearing and knowing this passage will seek to encourage the other people there. They will seek to encourage me. So do you see here that built into how we guard against having this sinful heart that turns away from God? Built into this is that we need each other. Why does the Hebrew writer not say, okay, see to it that you don't have a sinful, unbelieving heart. You know, you examine yourself daily. Why doesn't he say that? I think he doesn't say that, not because we shouldn't examine ourselves. We need to say that, he needs to say that because one of the marks of sin is that it blinds us. So it is very, very hard to spot sin in our own lives. It's just like, you know, if there's a, a bit of, uh, you know, shaving foam here, you know, I wouldn't feel it, right? I, I'll go around, and I'll be talking to people and then thinking I'm looking all immaculate everything, but then there's this bit of shaving foam here. No, I need someone to point it out to me. You know, a loving wife to, come here, come here. And then, you know, lovingly just uh, remove it. And then, oh, I'll say, thank you so much. But this is exactly what Jesus' illustration of the plank and the sawdust is meant to do. We are meant to help each other. Judge Make the right judgment when there is that sawdust in our brother's eye. And gently encourage, lovingly exhort. Help each other not to have that sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But you see, if we try to help each other, coming back to Matthew chapter 7, from that self-righteous judgmental position, no one wants to receive that help. We would not be able to help each other. And so, if we don't help each other, if we don't listen to the exhortation of Hebrews 3, if no one is coming here and meaningfully able to encourage one another, able to help each other see and to be aware of the sin in each other's lives, then what's going to happen? 
that heart will just be more and more encrusted, get more and more hardened until, you know, by and by, some will turn away. Do you see how practical, do you see how serious and grave what Jesus is teaching us here? So we need to judge rightly. Four that are wrong, four that are right, one that is wrong. Then we move on to verses 7 to 12. And in verse 7, Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So the question that I asked my Bible study group, okay, is Jesus here giving us a blank check? You know, just ask. Ask, and then it will be given. As long as you have enough faith, you ask, you seek, you knock, okay, you'll be given to you. And then, obviously, you know, unfortunately, there are some Christians who take this and teach this as a blank check. And say, you know, as long as you have enough faith, okay, ask for the good things. You know, ask with enough faith, and it will be given, the door will be open, you know, that job that you want, the girl that you want, okay, that door will be open. They treat this and they teach this as a blank check. Now, obviously, okay, there's a few things wrong with this. One thing that's wrong is okay, going against the uh, rest of the Bible in, in, in teaching, the valuing that, you know, material, focus, and priority. The other thing that's wrong is that what have we just heard? Now, if you just read through the Sermon on the Mount, and if you are a person in whom the Spirit of God is working in you, has given you life, given me life, and we acknowledge that this is God's Word to His people, and we hear the Lord Jesus say things like, Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We hear him say things like, seek first the kingdom. We hear him teach things like, okay, okay, you know, this is considered murder. This is considered adultery. We hear him say things like, do not judge. How can you walk around with that great big 12 meter log in your eye? And we, I mean, if we hear him say things like that, our hearts should respond with, Yes, yes, Lord, I hear you. But Lord, how? How am I able to do this? Yes, I try, but again and again I fail. And then again, just again, Lord, I, I, I sense that, that self-righteous, judgmental spirit in my heart. You know, I see someone, you know, raising their kids this way, and then straight away, oh, I'm judging them. Oh, see the way that you're disciplining your kids. Oh, how can you let your kids watch so much telly? And oh, you know, oh, how can a Christian drive this sort of car? And oh, how can a Christian wear this clothes to church? I mean, we should be going, Lord, I hear you, but Lord, I fail and I fail and I fail. And so this is where, oh, this is how verse 7 comes in. That upon teaching us, this is how a citizen of the kingdom, how a disciple how someone who belongs to the kingdom should be living. Jesus is telling us, yes, by yourselves, with your own effort, you will not be able to. But here, listen to these kind words. Ask, seek God 
knock on that door, ask Him for the grace that you need, ask Him for the help that you need. You know what Jesus is saying to us here? He is saying to us, the reason why we are not more spiritually mature is not because God is unwilling to give, but rather we have been reluctant to ask. Because he says there, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Now when I hear this, you know, my son, if they do ask me for bread, sometimes I say, no, 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 don't eat bread. You know, must reduce on refined carbs. You know, have some vegetables, have some banana instead, you know. You know sometimes when my son asks me for bread, you know, I, I, you know, I will not give him bread. Okay, but that's not the logic that Jesus is going here. He says, okay, son asks for bread, but you tease him. You say, okay, here's something brown and here's something round. And then the, <laughs> no, but it's a stone. Okay, so which, which father would do that? Okay. And then going on. Or oh, if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. Okay, so you know, the, the son wants to eat fish, you know, get the protein. And then instead of giving him fish, you give him a snake. And what's worse, I think what we should be imagining here is that which of you will give to your son a live snake? A snake that's alive. A snake that might bite. The snake that's venomous. Which of you will do that? You know, and then he goes on. Uh, da, 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 da. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? So Jesus is using a lesser to greater argument. You, you're sinful, you're evil but you have enough love and care for your own offspring that you won't give them a snake, a snake that will bite them and poison them. How much more our Father in heaven, who is perfect, who is love, will give the good things to those who ask Him. Not good things of material prosperity, you know, perfect health, but the good things of what we need to live the way He has called us to. So we lack, not because the Father is stingy. We lack because we do not ask. And why do we not ask? Is it because we doubt the Heavenly Father's love? Why, why do we not ask? Why do we not Believe these clear, you know, unambiguous words of scripture here. Ask and you will receive. Jesus taught us, you can go before the Father and ask Him, give us this day our daily bread. What we need for today to deal with that log in our eye, what we need for today to lovingly, compassionately, patiently, help the others around us, encourage them to not have hard hearts. What we need for today not to worry. What we need for today to seek first His kingdom. What we need for today to, to, to not fool ourselves. You know, Jesus says, you cannot serve two masters. But we fool ourselves. No, 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 Jesus, I can do it. I can serve two masters. What we need for today to stop believing the lie, to be aware of our sin, 
to have the grace and the strength that we need. Jesus is saying, ask. Ask and you will receive. May God help us to believe these words more. And then he sums it up, verse 12, very quickly. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Now the scholars say that mention of law and prophets here act as a bookend to chapter 5, verse 17, where Jesus first talked about how he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill. He's come to fulfill the law and the prophets. So uh, these bookends show us that the Sermon on the Mount is what the scriptures have been pointing us to. This is fulfillment. This is what God has come to do, to do, to make in his people. And so it ends, in a sense, this conclusion here. In everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. I mean, it's such a broad, uh, open, you know, universal sort of principle. Why? Because the Sermon on the Mount is not meant to give us instruction for every specific, imaginable circumstance that we could ever go through, then um, it would just be too big, right? So Jesus ends with this principle. And I just want us to appreciate, you know, the genius of this principle. You know, can you imagine what the office would look like if the employee applied this golden rule? If he uh, treated his boss the way he would want to be treated if he was uh, the boss. Does that make sense? So if the employee put himself in the boss's shoe and says, okay, if I'm the boss, how would I want my employee to treat me? And then the boss likewise, you know, okay, how would I want my boss to treat me if I was the employee? You know, so we, we put ourselves in each other's shoe. If children and parents would do that, you know, elders and church members will do that. You know, uh, staff members will do that to each other. Can you imagine how different it would be? There is a guiding principle for all situations, all relationships in our life. But obviously, this guiding principle also then reminds us that how often and how consistently we fail. That so often we don't do that. Such a simple, life-transforming principle. But so often we are self-centered. We are just too focused on ourselves, our own needs, our own interests. And so the more I study the Sermon on the Mount, the more I see how profound and brilliant the way Jesus started the Sermon on the Mount. Can you remember? First words of the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So the one who is aware of our great weakness, our great failure, the one who is aware that by my own effort, by my own self-determination, I cannot do this. I need God's help. I am poor. I am bankrupt spiritually. Such is the one who is blessed. May God help us to know this blessing. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at bcpc.sg.